if you have your Bibles, grab those. We will be uh, in James chapter 1. We'll start in verse 2 here in just a few minutes. Um, but we are in our fall series uh, that will run roughly uh, 12 to 15 weeks as we just walk through the book of James and we just dive in and see what God has for us and uh, what he's going to do. And so to uh, kind of get us caught up, what we did last week is we just looked at, at verse 1. We, we just talked solely on uh, verse 1 and just looked at what uh, God had done there as he has James pen this letter uh, to the churches who have been dispersed because of persecution. Uh, so when you think James, think book of Acts chapter 7 where you have Stephen there, the first one that was uh, martyred. Uh, first believer that was martyred there that, that we have on, on record. Um, he is stoned because of his faith, because he's living it out, because uh, walking out who Jesus is, he uh, confronts the religious people of the day, and they don't like it. Uh, especially when you confront religious people who uh, claim to be religious, but they don't live out what they claim. He, he confronts them, and his life was in uh, direct opposition to them, and they didn't enjoy that, and he gets very pointed with them. And so uh, this is roughly a little after that. Uh, we have James who pins this letter to the churches that are dispersed, and they're dispersed because of persecution. And persecution came because of who Jesus was and what he's accomplished on the cross and what he has done. And so as a result of that and Stephen stoning, uh, uh, believers are spread everywhere. Uh, they, they are spread. And as they are spread, what do they do? They share the gospel. Uh, they tell people of Jesus. And what happens? The church grows exponentially. Uh, the church starts to, to grow like crazy and spread like wildfire. So persecution for the church is not a bad thing. It's not a comfortable thing, but it's not a bad thing. And that's what we see over and over and over in history as it pertains to the church. And so that's kind of context of what's happening. And then all the more is, who's this guy that wrote this book? And we talked in depth about that last week, that we have James, the half-brother of Jesus, who during his life as Jesus lived, he did not believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. He just thought that it was his crazy half-brother. And there's uh, accounts in the scriptures where his siblings tried to have Jesus arrested and hauled off. But it didn't work. And so uh, what we know is this, is later on in James's life, something happens so great that he goes from, that's my crazy brother, to no, that's my Lord and Savior. And, and I don't know about you who have siblings out there this morning, uh, but I, what would it take for them to bow down to you and worship you? I mean, I, mean, I got a sister right now, and I know uh, ain't ever going to happen unless and what we see happen in James's life what we see happen with Jesus is that Jesus is brutally beaten taken to a cross and crucified and murdered only to have what happened raised three days later so for James the thing that changes everything is resurrection your crazy brother out there making claims what happens whenever he comes back to life from the dead he is God in the flesh Everything connects for him, and he believes so much so that he is the man who pins this letter to those who are dispersed in the known world. That he is the, the lead elder of the church in Jerusalem, and he's ministering and he's doing to the point of where he even his life is taken. He's martyred as a result of his faith in his half-brother as God. And so that is who pins this letter. That is who writes this letter. So now to James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. And before we get there, let, let's pray. I'm going to ask you if you'd join me as we pray. Um, and and let's, let's pray and see what God's got for us. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. God, for the worship as we got to cry out and be reminded of your faithfulness and your goodness. God, I just thank you so much already for what you've accomplished in this place. Father, I just pray your Holy Spirit moves and speaks and works. Father God, for those in this room this morning, for those that are watching online, God, I pray you would, you would just move and bless and just do a, a multitude of things that you've promised in your word. God, we love you. We need you. God, help us here this morning. God, this is going to be tough, and, it, and it's going to hit us hard, and it's going to cut. But Father, as we're going to see this morning in your word, you've got a great, great purpose for that. So, Lord, do a work in this place far greater than we could ever imagine. God, make your glory and presence known all the more. Jesus, we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, James, uh, starting chapter 1, starting in verse 2, it says this. Uh, James just comes right out and he says this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. And so, as I've said, we've got the believers who are scattered all abroad the known world. Uh, they're, they're being spread, they're being persecuted. Uh, like I said, Acts, Stephen with the stoning, all of those things. And so what we've got to do is we've got to get our heart around who this letter is written to. 
when we read Scripture, when we come to Scripture, we, we've got to look at it through those lenses. What is God saying to a specific people at a specific time at a specific place? It's for them, but to us. He works and he does and he writes to them and he reveals to them and then thousands of years later we get to look into and we get to see what he's accomplished and what he's done and what he wants to do in us. So we've got to get our heart around who this letter was written to, the believers of that day and, and, and how they have been persevered, how they've persevered and they've been preserved so much so that to this day we get to read and we get to see. So what we see here is he says, count it all joy, my brothers. It just lets us know that this is for Christians because I don't see how anyone, I don't see how anyone outside of a relationship with Christ that's not born again will be able to live out this command that he's giving. This command that he is going to tell us. And even, even besides that, there is no way possible to even muster up what he's already said. Count it all joy. There's no way to produce that. There's no way to handle and live out what he is going to command here. But before we do that, I think we need to do some work here. I think we need to look into what's already been said, what's already been pinned to this letter right here in verse uh, 2. And this is a drum that I've been beating on for the last four years. I'm going to continue to beat on it until God calls me home. Uh, but it's this fight of joy and happiness. And we live in a world today that's just uh, emotional mush. It's just all about feelings and all about just being happy and whatever makes you happy and, and, and all of those type of things that go with happiness. And if you're not happy, do whatever you got to do to be happy. You deserve to be happy. And, and, and I think that's ridiculous nonsense. It's anti-biblical. No, no, no. What you should long for is joy, not happiness. Why? Because happiness is an emotional response to something that brings pleasure for the moment. It, it's, it's, it's so shallow, happiness is and it's based on things working out in a certain way so let's let's go there for a moment and it's the example that I give every time this season but usually I'm a little more happier when I give it because things have kind of worked out better for me being from the great mountain state of West Virginia we've got this little old football team up there that's good for like the first three games of the year and then after that it just goes downhill quick so, so Clemson fans, if you need some help coping through this, I, have, I am your guy. Come to me, see me. Because the same thing happened to you first week. I mean, how do you lose week one? Well, I mean, y'all played Georgia. We played Maryland. Where, is that even a state? I mean, good gosh. So I go from like, this could be the year to, man, we don't even get to have a year. I mean, you get, that, that's like ACC, like bottom of the barrel type stuff, isn't it? Maryland? I mean, like... like we get beat by them, it's over. So I go from being the biggest Mountaineer fan, and, and like, I'm even like that guy, like hoping, like 30 seconds left, we're down, we're on our own 10, or, or, or they're on our 10, and like, we can still turn this thing over, all I gotta do is take a knee. We can still get it. Uh, so it hits zero, and I'm like, well, I'm done there now. And I, bring on basketball season. I mean, but this is the flood of emotion that fills us. Man, we are just an emotional-driven culture, are we not? And it's shallow, it's so shallow and based on circumstantial things lining up for a certain way. But hear me, joy is not that. Joy is so much greater, so much deeper, and it's based on the unchanging reality found in what was accomplished in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And what we know about that is that it is an unchanged, no matter what the circumstance is. That's, that's what joy is. Regardless of what happens, there's joy down in my heart. Where deep, deep down in my heart? I just about had a moment, y'all. That's a children's song. We'll sing it to you one day. But, but that's where joy happens. It, it, it's, it's not based on circumstance. It was based on a circumstance that's already happening and is unchangeable. And not to mention, what is joy? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, is it not? So what that tells us is that it's only produced in a soul that's satisfied in Christ. Joy can only be produced in a soul or a heart that is satisfied in Christ, who belongs to Christ. The only way that we don't rip out this page in our book or we get our pen and we just mark through, count it all the joy, especially with what James is about to tell us, the only way that we don't do that this morning is because we've got the Holy Spirit in us who has allowed us to settle and understand what joy is and how we obtain joy, how we get joy, how we have joy, and it's because of what Christ has done for us. And it's nothing in and of us. 
but it's who Jesus is and what he's done. And when you think of that, when you reflect on that, when you look to that, when you long for that, regardless of what, what comes after you or what happens or what's on fire, whenever, you have got that to settle on. And that's a circumstance that's unchanging because Christ died on the cross. He was buried and he rose again three days later. It's because of the Spirit of God at work in us that we can even begin to have joy and begin to live out what James is going to command us. So he says, count it all a joy, my brethren, what? When you meet trials of various kinds. Now, I don't know if you caught this here, but when he pins this letter, it's not an if thing or a might happen thing, but, but it, there's more of a certainty type thing to it, is it not? When you meet trials of various kinds. And not to just mention that, trials there is plural because it's got that nice little S on the end. So what it's telling us is that it's not just going to be a one-time event. Like you're not just going to face one trial and then you're over, okay, we're good to go, I can live life now. But count it a joy when you face various trials. Not maybe, but they're coming. Not maybe I can dance out of it, but no, it's, it's, it's going to hit you. And it's not just going to hit you once. But throughout life, life's just got a way of beating us up, doesn't it? Events just has a way of just working us over, does it not? I mean, things that just hit us and get us, it just wears us out. And so what I've known is this, believer or non-believer, there's none of us exempt from this, is there? Not one of us is exempt from this reality. It's coming. But the good thing for us as a believer, we can prepare our soul for that day knowing that it's coming. Knowing that it's coming, knowing that God's going to do something even in that day, and we'll talk about that more here in a minute, but trials, when we look at it here and we see it in its original language, it it means trouble. It it means trouble. When you meet trials or you meet troubles or you meet difficulties, it's something that breaks the pattern of peace. It breaks the pattern of comfort or happiness in our life. Various there means any or all, no matter how big or how small it may be. Whatever you're going through that has kind of disrupted a little bit, that could very much be a trial. No matter how small or how big it may be, it could be in relationships, it could be uh, with family, it could be with kids, it could be in work, it could be sickness, you, you name it. That's what James is saying here. And don't forget the context of it, right? They're in immense persecution right now. They're being persecuted as the church. And so... What, what I've realized or what I've seen, I guess, just in the flow of life is, is this. T- two things. One, either you're in a trial right now and something's happening and something's going on and something's doing. Or maybe you've come out of it and there's another trial coming. There's another trial coming. It's just kind of the ebb and flow of life, isn't it? And what I've learned is that there's no one in this room exempt from that. None of us. We live in a fallen, broken world. And so as a result of sin, there's trials, there's difficulties, there's struggles, there's troubles. I think one of the things that I've noticed is I've just kind of stepped back and as I've gotten older and just kind of looked at things. I mean, have you ever noticed, like if something bad happens, whose fault is it? God's. Maybe when something good happens, and look what I did. World or not world. I mean, world or church. I mean, both ways, right? Oh, why God, if he would have just, God, he could have. But something happens good or something goes good or something falls into place, who gets credit? Look what I did. Look what I accomplished. I just worked hard. I just did. God doesn't get the glory for it. Well, we, we, we rob him of that. The world robs him of that. But church, what we have as believers here in this scripture is an understanding and an insight of something greater at work in the trials. That's what James is telling the people in this day. Man, you're being persecuted. You're losing your life. You, you, you've got people coming after you. Who do you share with? Who do you not share with? What do you, how do you, people are coming for you. You've got to understand that there's something greater working in this. God is doing something greater work. Look at what James says as he helps us arrive at this greater understanding of what's happening under the surface of, of trials and tribulations. Verse 3 says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfast. So he says the testing of your faith, these trials, these difficulties, it's linked, right? It's linked together that when you go through that, when you're being tested in your faith there, it's going to produce something. It's going to produce a steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says that's what trials and difficulties do. That's what trials and difficulties produce in the life of a believer. That's our perspective. You've been beat up this week. Guess what? God's working and doing. It wasn't for nothing. It wasn't for naught. 
You've had a difficulty over the last, I mean, not to mention this last year and a half, two years now we're approaching, right? I mean, has it not just been awful? You want to talk about a trial? Let's talk pandemic for a moment, can we? I mean, I mean, and it seems to be just swirling out, out of control right now. Chaos everywhere. People getting sick. People we never thought would get sick. People are in the hospital right now. We've got people in the hospital right now. I mean, it's just, it's nuts, is it not? But see, for us as a believer, what we do is we look at those circumstances and situations. And we got to look, we got to look deep below the surface to understand even in the midst of that, God is working and doing and accomplishing. And that's what James tells us those circumstances and situations. And we got to look, we got to look deep below the surface to understand even in the midst of that, God is working and doing and accomplishing. And that's what James tells us. That's what he just told us, that, that these trials produce what maturity in us as believers. That's what God's doing. Like, you, you know that, don't you? God loves you too much to leave you where he found you. He doesn't want you just to come get saved and set on your blessed assurance for the next however long till he brings you on into glory. Uh, that's, that's not salvation, first of all. I'm, I'm just going to be, be honest with you. We, we can talk, right? That's not salvation. Uh, to come and get saved for a fire insurance policy? Nowhere in the Scriptures do you see that. I would say that that's, that's not salvation at all. That's not even a right understanding of who God is and what salvation... Jesus didn't save you to sit. Jesus didn't save you to check out. If He was done with you when He saved you, He would have called you on to glory. Let that sink in for a second. Feel that conviction for a moment. So what have you done and accomplished for his glory and for his honor this week? Maybe that's why you're getting beat up all the time. Maybe that's why you're getting worked over in trials and tribulations and difficulties. I don't know about you, but I just thought about that. Maybe God loves you that much to let you get worked over a little bit. All I know is looking back now at 37, I didn't see it like this at, at 5, 10, 15, last week. But when my daddy had those conversations with me and he took care of some stuff in my life, maybe I didn't recognize it as what it was then, but man, at 37, I've got a new perspective of it. Thank God he stepped in and did some stuff in my life <coughs> and prevented me from being an ungrateful brat. Prevented me from being a stuck-up snob. Prevented me from being, you fill in the blank. So maybe this, what you're going through, what God's doing is because he loves you far too much to leave you. And maybe there's something in your heart that he's trying to get, get a hold of you with. <coughs> that he's trying to show you. That he's trying to shape you and shake you and get your attention. Oh, that's what he does. These difficulties, these trials, they, it produces maturity in us. And, and so when do we grow the most? When do we mature the most? When there's pressure and difficulty added, is it not? Is that not what it is? Why? Because what happens whenever, whenever you're, you're just going through your day and everything seems to be good and there's no struggle at all, there's, no, there's not much going on, I would press you that when things are going good and smooth, we are less focused on desiring and loving and following God than we are whenever it's difficult. Are we not? And when life's smooth and good and everything lines up and it just falls right into place, I just do my own little thing. Man, how quick I am to forget, well, I don't need to do my devotion today. Oh, I forgot to pray about that mail. It's okay. God knows. Yeah, he does. And guess what's around the corner, big boy? Because he knows. He knows that real quick I'll get prideful. You'll get prideful. We'll get arrogant. We'll get stuck up. We'll allow sin to creep in. All of those. I don't know about you, but for me, like, like this is a prayer of my heart often. And I'm thinking it's about one maybe discontinuing for a little bit. But the prayer of my heart is, God, help me grow and mature. And it's kind of like that patience prayer that we pray. God, give me patience. He, he doesn't give you patience. What does he do? He gives you situations to help teach you patience. Because patience is not just something that's just given, is it? Like, there's not like there's a patience button somewhere we just push and get more appeal we take. And we're, oh, I'm just so patient now. This doesn't work that way. He gives you Walmart. He gives you traffic. He gives you red lights. Pandemic. I'll teach him patience. I mean, God, does he not? S same thing works with maturity. God, help me grow and mature. 
God, help, help me grow and mature in you and know more. And, oh, just, just help me do that. And what does he do? Struggle. Difficulty. This and that. He allows that to happen and fester in my life. Because church maturity is more than just knowing a bunch of stuff. Maturity is more than knowing just a bunch of Bible verses. Maturity is so much greater than that. Because I mean, that, that's not mature at all if you know a bunch of stuff, but you don't do anything with the stuff that you know. And my fear is we know, well, we don't know a whole lot, but what we do know, we kind of just sulk in, or we just kind of boast in and ba- just kind of be out there in that. But we don't do much with what we know. And that doesn't please God. That doesn't honor God. So what does he do? Trial. Difficulty. Struggle. They'll mature and they'll grow. That's what he does. Why? Because in those moments of difficulty, in those moments of hardship, when things are just beating us up, wearing us out, tearing us down, what does it do? Trials help us be all the more aware of our great need for Jesus. It helps us be more aware of our great need for our God. And then let me, let me show you where James goes next in verse 5. He says, he says, If you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given to him. So, so it's one of those things of, of God, help me understand better. Get, help me get my mind around this. Help me get my heart around this. What, what are you doing? What are you working in at this time? All that you're trying to do and accomplish. Help me, help me be reminded that, that I'm maturing in this trial. Help me be reminded that you're doing something far greater in me than I can even see right now or even understand in this moment. Help me, help me be under, understand something that maybe I'm not even aware of yet. That's what James says here. If you lack that wisdom or you get in that moment of that difficulty and you need to figure out what, ask him for wisdom. He's going to lavish it upon you generously. He's going to give it to you without reproach. And so what that does, asking is us recognizing and then showing our need and dependency for him. That's what it does. We can't fix that ourselves. We can't figure it out ourselves. We can't do it ourselves. So what do we do? We ask God for wisdom. We ask God for help. We engage in that way, and it brings God glory during trials. And then what James is going to do in the next little section of this, this letter here is he's going to show us two ways that we do that. He's going to give us two ways of, of understanding what's going on and, and, and this whole thought of, of getting wisdom and gaining understanding to help prepare us and guard us for what we're in the midst of. And so the first thing we do is we engage in faith. We engage in faith. And I just want to warn you because this is going to be tough. So just, just hang tight with me. Hang tight with me because what, the way that God does it is he likes to beat us up and work us up over a little bit. And then he always comes back and he adds the little salve where he's produced a cut. He, he adds a little bandage where he's like, ah, he's like kind of touched on that little sensitive area. It's kind of, have you ever been to the dentist and like, like touch? And it's like, oh gosh, what does he do? He goes and he gets the drill. Why does he always go for the drill first? I mean, let's, let's try something else. No, no, no. Let's drill this sucker out. And it's kind of like the same way with God, right? He'll drill it right there and he'll press on that little uh, sensitive area that we need, uh, need to be made aware of and we need to do something with. And, and then after that, he always comes back and then he gives us the good stuff to help soothe our little ache for the moment. And God's no different. And that's what we're going to see here in this letter. So the first thing we need to do is engage in faith. Verse 6, it says this. Is, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What? Dang, that was a little harsh, wasn't it? Because didn't James just say, if, if you lack wisdom, ask for it? If you lack understanding, ask for it? And then he just says, well, if you ask and you doubt, then you shouldn't ask. Or you shouldn't expect I mean, I mean okay, okay, I know that you're his half-brother and that you've seen him and you've walked with him. And you, don't do that stuff that he does like that. I mean, help us out. What is he talking about? What is he doing? What is he saying here? And I just believe a good scripture to help us understand in greater what's happening here in this scripture is, is Mark 9. It'll be on the screen. You can flip over if you want to. Mark 9, starting in verse 17. Uh, I think a story that just kind of comes along and shares with and helps us gain a greater understanding of what James is talking about here in this moment. Mark 9, 17 says this. He says, And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams it and grinds his teeth, and he uh, becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they couldn't. They weren't able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it, it convulsed the boy. 
And he fell on the ground and he rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus turns to the father and he asks him, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And has it often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him? And this is the dad speaking. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. I mean, can, can you imagine having that conversation for a moment with Jesus? You bring your boy to Jesus. You've heard all these stories about Jesus. You know what Jesus can do. You take, you take your son to Jesus, and he has this conversation, and he shares with Jesus what's happening. And, and then Jesus says, if you can. And Jesus' response is, if I can? Buddy, if I can? If I can, if I can, if I can? He says, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, listen to this, church. I believe, but help my unbelief. What the heck? I'll help you if you believe. And the man's like, I believe, but I don't believe. I mean, what in the world? Help my unbelief. I mean, I believe you're good. I believe you're God. I believe that you've got this. I believe that you've done amazing things. I believe, I believe, I believe. But there's a part of me that just doesn't believe. I mean, I don't know about you, but, but, but I've seen some stuff, and I've seen what's happened in him, and I've seen what's going on with him, and I've, I've seen all of these things. I, I'm going to believe because you told me to believe, but... I, but I don't believe too. And when Jesus saw the crowds come running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And I just love that verse. I don't know if like you circle things in your Bible or underline or highlight, but I just love that. I mean, I mean get your mind around this for a second. What's happening? This dad brings his boy to Jesus. If you believe, if you can, if I can. If you just be- I believe, but help me because I don't believe. And then Jesus turns his attention, sees the crowds coming, turns his attention to the boy, and what does he do? He begins to speak to the demon. And what does the demon do? Look at verse 26. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. This is free this morning. And I don't know where you're at or what you're going through right now. And I know our world's in immense chaos and craziness and all this stuff. But there is, there may appear to be a fight that goes on. But when Jesus speaks to darkness, the lights come on immediately. What you don't see in Scripture is the demon gets smart back with Jesus. There's no argument. There's no going back. There's no like, well, Jesus, get what's coming. I mean, there, there's, it, it just obeys and listens and leaves. And you see that all throughout the scriptures, do you not? When Jesus speaks to the enemy, the enemy's defeated. I mean, he doesn't throw hands. He doesn't like have to get like an army. He just speaks and it happens. So hear me, in, in the end, all right, get your heart around that for a moment. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to be up in arms about. Everything's going on right now in our world. We've been told that it's going to happen like this, that things are going to happen. It's going to, it's going to unwind and un, unwrap. It's going to happen. But hear me, when Jesus speaks, it's done. It's over. There's no argument. There's no, uh, like, 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 let me go get my gun and let me, like, like load that thing up. I mean, what's the bullet going to do to a demon? I mean, what's the missile going to do to Jesus? Nothing. There's no great battle Jesus just speaks and it's over but what I love about the scriptures this is that God meets this man in the place where he has faith that's a little bit present even in spite of his doubt even in spite of his doubt Jesus meets the man where there's faith and what does he do he attaches to that and he grabs onto that and he pulls that out and so what I want to press you with this morning is this is that trials will wear you down so much so that you begin to wrestle with doubt Oh, gosh, that was country. Wrestle with doubt. If you're out there wrestling with that doubt, I mean, that's worse than wrestling. Good Lord, help me, Jesus. But that's what trials will do. That's what difficulties will do. That's what this world will do. It'll beat you up. It'll wear you out. It'll tear you down. It'll, it'll work you over to the point of where there's doubt. And I'll even say this. Even the most spiritual of us, and there is no guilt and there is no shame in that place. You hear me? I just felt led to do this. Let's do this. Who over the probably the last, we'll go, we'll go two years. 
Who over the last two years has struggled with doubt? Okay, good, me too. Absolutely. What would you say that you were saved in a Christian? Yeah, absolutely, me too. Did that upset God? Did that frustrate God? Did that get like the, the, the Trinity like wigged out? Oh my gosh, I thought they were mine. What are they doing? Oh, Lord, you got it. Spirit, God. No. I mean, you see this over and over in the Psalms, do you not? I mean, I mean, if anybody was kind of a little schizophrenic and out there, was it not David? I mean, that boy's talking to himself constantly throughout the book of Psalms. Oh, God, I thought you did. Oh, he does. Oh, God, but you promised that you would. Oh, but he, he didn't. I mean, man wrestled with doubt, did he not? And, and hear me, this needs to be a place where that's okay. The, the church needs to be a safe place where we can do that. Where we can voice that, where we can walk that stuff out, yo. This needs to be a place where the ground is level at the cross. Man, you doubting this week? Let me hear it. And let me pray for you. Let me, walk, let me show you some of my doubts in the back. Let me, let, me, let me do that. That's what this place needs to be about. That's what the church needs to be about. It's one of those, I mean, I believe, but help my unbelief in this moment. And so life just has a way of working us over, even the most spiritual. And there's no guilt and there's no shame in that. And so Jesus heals in this story because of the faith, even when there's doubt present. And so the guy acts in faith even in the midst of doubt. And, and so I just, I just want to share with you for a moment because it's, it's so easy to just stand up here and preach at people or preach at certain situations or I want to say preach at people, preach at y'all and to think that, that I've got it all together or that I've got it going on or that I've got... Uh, and it's not the case. And like I said, whenever, whenever I, like, I raised my hand too because I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going to share with you. And, and I know in, in being vulnerable, there's a chance to, uh, to have this used against me. And you know what? God's got it, and he's bigger than that. So whether you're in this place or watching online, use it. I don't care uh, against me because I know God's got me, and he's just proved it over and over and over. We just sang about how faithful and good he is. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to pull back for a moment and, and just share kind of like where I've been over the last four years as the pastor of a church. Man, where I have walked for the last four years, God, I believe, but you have to help my unbelief. Because I just don't see how in the world this can work out. I just don't see how in the world something good can come from that. I don't see how in the world this could make it. And so for me, this has not been an easy place to shepherd and lead a congregation of people. It's, just, it's not been easy. And for me, my prayer from the very get-go has been this. God, don't let me train wreck this. Please don't let me train wreck this. If it, get me out of here, move me, do whatever you've got to do. I mean, get rid of me, whatever needs to happen. Don't let me train wreck this. That has been my prayer for the last four years. And even before that, knowing what was coming as we was going to transition in and I was going to be, uh, be the shepherd, leader, pastor of this church. And if you don't know the story, like I followed a guy that planted this church who was older and who was approaching retirement and who had tons of friends and people that he knew here and in this community. And he hands this over to me. And I was arrogant and cocky enough to think, man, this will be a breeze. And so that's where I was at. And I didn't realize how difficult it would be to follow. And every little thing you do scrutinized. Every little thing that you've done picked apart. Every little thing that you try to change or do this or do that. And I know we all struggle with change. God help us. It's going to be a big change when you die and go to heaven. I just want to warn you there. You've got some years to prepare for that maybe. Because the church will be nothing like this when you get there. I'm just, just saying. Much better. And so I just, I didn't realize what this would be like. And I'm, I'm 37 now, so that was what, four years ago. I was 33. So I was about 29 when I was coming here. I'm with West Virginia. Y'all hang with me. So eight years here. I'm moving into my fifth year of pastoring here. I mean, I'm just, it's been horrible. Like, like, it's been horribly difficult sometimes and a horrible struggle. It's not been horrible. I've loved it. God has done some, some stuff and, and we're, worked in me and has done some, there's been horrible times, I'll just be, I mean, I'll be honest, right? It's been awful. But even in that, what has God done? He's pressed me to, to him even more. And what have I prayed for? God, God, help me mature and grow. 
help me mature and grow. And I'm just going to say, don't pray something you don't mean. Because God is good and gracious enough to give it to you. And, and, and it's crazy, and I shared this a few weeks ago. Like, I've got guys that I know that are pastoring and said the worst years of their ministry has been pandemic COVID stuff. Ministering, pastoring through that. And I said, dang, dude, like, that's been the best years of my ministry as a lead pastor. And they're like, you're crazy. I'm like, I guess so. I'm just more mature than you. No, I'm joking. But I didn't realize how difficult that would be. I mean, I guess the thing that blows my mind, and I'm just, like, I'm just laying myself bare this morning. And I was looking, and I'm looking around this morning, and I'm just thinking over those eight years of the people that I knew and got to build a relationship with and get to love and get to walk with and get to care for, and they cared for me, so I thought. And, and I think it was real in the moment. And stuff happens, I get that. And people hear stuff, and I, I get that. But man, to, to have things come back to me and things that I hear and things that, and stuff that's been said that I, and I'm like, it just blows my mind. And, and, and the reality of this is, as I sit back and I look at where we're at today, and, and to think that I would say, venture to say, probably about 80% of the people that were here whenever I first started are no longer here. A church don't survive that. A church don't make that. Or the pastor don't. Has God put you in a place where he wants you? And God's going to do something with you that he's, that he's planning on doing regardless of what... And God's got a lot to teach you and do in you before he gets you to that place. I mean, I mean and so as I looked at that and as I thought about that, man, I mean... There's just been a struggle in my soul. God, I believe, and, and I believe you've called me here, and I haven't felt your voice to move me or to cause me to even begin to pray about that yet. And it's funny because, like, things come up here and there, and, and like, especially early on, well, well we, we hear, or, or later on here, later, uh, well, we hear you're, about, you're thinking about praying about moving. Like, like, I hear, like, little stuff like that, and I'm thinking, good Lord, if I was going to leave, I left four years ago, and y'all could have had it. I mean, I wouldn't have, I mean, God's finally doing something here. He's finally getting us to a place where I think he can use us and do a work in us and kind of get our hearts centered around the reality of vision and mission of who he's called us to be and what he's called us to be about. Why would I leave now? It's just all that kind of stuff. And, and, I, and I had a meeting with, with a, a good friend um, a few weeks ago. And uh, as I'm going to this meeting, it's just that prayer kind of again as I was going to meet with him. It's going to be a difficult conversation. And, and, and in that, I'm driving to it. And as I'm driving, I'm praying, God, help me. God, again, please help me. Don't, help me don't, not to train wreck this, your church. And, and I, don't, I don't know how God talks to you, but he, he just, he gave me that sweet little kick in the soul. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but I just felt it pressed upon my heart and my soul. And, and, and the words that the Holy Spirit uttered to me was this. I don't know who you think you are, but you're not that good. You think you can train wreck my church? But we do have some stuff to work out in you. We do have some stuff we need to accomplish in you before I can get you to where I need you to be. And in that moment, I just felt the peace of God come over me and be... Just be who, you, who I've called you to be and do what I've called you to do and you just keep your eyes on me and you just follow after me and you stay desperate and hungry for me and I'll take care of the rest. Even if it looks like this sometimes or even if it looks like that sometimes or Scott, even in the midst of this trial or that, you just do what I tell you to do and you just follow after me and you just listen to me and let me take care of the rest. And so I have had moment after moment after moment, church, of this, I, God, I believe, but I don't believe. Help my unbelief. And I think God has honored that, and I think God has worked in that, and I think God has done an amazing thing in my heart and in me, and growing me, and teaching me, and doing some things in me. But what James addresses here is the double-minded one. This is what he says to the double-minded one. The double-minded one is someone like this who gives lip service all the while looking the part but never acting on it. So there isn't even an approaching of God. There isn't even an asking of God. There isn't even a clinging to that God could that's the double-minded one that James is talking about here. He's saying stop pretending, stop playing. Because what's going to happen is you're going to pretend you're all the, yourself all the way to a place that you never intended to be. And that's called a hell separated from God. And so what he's telling this is that you be a person of faith. That you believe. And even if there's an ounce of unbelief, that's okay. You still press in and God can still work and God can still do. You're going to get kicked in. You're going to get beat up. 
by trials and difficulties. It's about pressing in and asking God, even though it seems like it's never going to happen. Hear me, church, God honors the fight. God honors the fight. Don't check out. Don't give a lip service. Let him know and keep pressing toward. That's what he's talking about. The second thing that he's going to tell us that we need to do here in the midst of trials and difficulties is engage by being content with where you are. And don't you dare look at somebody else and start to compare. Look at what he says in verse 9. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. It flowers, falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So what's James saying in a nutshell here? Don't compare. Don't compare, don't compare, don't compare. You focus on you and the Lord. That's what you do. Don't, don't you worry about what's happening over there. Don't you worry about what's going on with that, that thing. You, you just, you focus on the Lord and don't compare. Which is so difficult, is it not? Because don't we live in like this shiny, pretty little world that, that is all about like boasting in the... I mean, study after study has come out about what social media has done and is doing to us. Study after study... I mean, these platforms aid greatly in depression. Aid greatly with depression. I mean, think about it for a second. Our feeds. I mean, doesn't everyone's life always look so pretty? So put together? Isn't their marriage just awesome? And their family is the greatest? And their kids have it going on. Oh my gosh. Their kids don't act like little blessings like mine. Remember, God's maturing me. How do they, they perform on command? They will sit. Oh, my gosh. They don't talk back. Look at the little cute video of this one doing that. Oh, my gosh. I mean, their work, their work is the best. Oh, my word. Their work is so good. That new car they just got, look. It don't have the fake rims like mine. Their new shirt has all the buttons. I mean, they're wearing new socks. When was the last time you bought new socks? Oh, man, everything looks great in their life and so good. But, but what do we know about that junk? Is that not just a two-second snapshot of a facade that doesn't really exist? Is it not? I mean, I, mean, I think about the pictures that I put up with my kids, and, and like we threaten them near to their life. And, and my wife's not in here, so I'm going to say this. Like, she is a perfectionist when it comes to pictures. I have never seen a nine-year-old smile right. And the five-year-old, my gosh. And if you were to ever just, like, follow us around when we do, like, family pictures, we've always got somebody in the background shaking keys and, like, like jumping up and down. Bishop, and, like, like, doing, like, crazy, like, like, weird dances in the background. Just trying to get, trying to get the 12-month-old just to look for just a second. Like, they take a million pictures hoping to get that one. Man, we'll put it out there like, oh, my gosh, look at those kids. His hair's right and flying. He's got the cute little, ah. But, but what does that do in our heart? What does that do to us? We look at that after a long day or maybe in the middle of a trial or a difficulty or a struggle. And we think, oh, my gosh. God, why do you hate me? God, why them? I mean, they don't, they don't even really love their kids like I do. Or they don't even, they're not committed like that. Or, or that, I know that husband. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that comes from, I'm sorry. <laughs> Lord, help me. But, but, but what does it do? It's, it's, it, it embeds within us resentment and anger and jealousy. And, and as you're in the middle of a trial, it, it solidifies it even more, right? It causes even more of that bitterness to grow. And, and that's what James is addressing. Comparison shows our lack of trust and contentment in God. We must, in our trials and struggles, fight against this. Fight against this. That's what we've got to do. Don't compare. Don't, don't look to someone else's story. Look at your story. 
Look at God in your story. I mean, what, what James has just told us is that he's working and doing something in the midst of your trial far greater than we can ever imagine or ever know. I mean, yes, if I would have taken my eyes off of Jesus for a moment, I've been gone. Yes, if I would have taken my eyes, I would have left my wife. Yes, if I'd have taken my eyes off Jesus, I, I would have threw my kids out. Yes, if I'd have taken my eyes off of Jesus, I would have spent it all, went crazy. If I begin to compare with everything else going on out there, somebody else's life that's a little bit better than mine, or this that they've got going on a little bit better than me, James says, don't do that. Focus on Jesus. Don't compare the rich man, the poor man. You, you look to Christ. That's who you look to. And then look at how God works as the Holy Spirit inspires James here as he pins this letter with some great encouragement. This is the sad that he's going to apply to the heart and the soul for just a moment here. In verse 13, he says, let, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desires, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So what James is doing here is pointing to the fact that trials are pathways to what maturity. And that trials makes us aware of what our need for God that's what trials do. That's what difficulties do. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then what he's doing is he's just trying to get your attention. He's saying, hey, yo, yo, look, look, life's going to fall apart. You can't do this on your own. You need me. And by the way, when you get me and you believe in me and you walk with me and you love me and you desire me and you're born again, it's still going to come. But at least now you're going to have a perspective and understanding of what I'm doing. Because I love you enough to press you onto maturity. I care about you enough to, to push you on and thrust you in deeper. That's what James is doing. He's making us aware of our need of God. Because watch out. Doubt and comparison will be, there's going to be hunting you. And if you're not careful, you'll be enticed to overlook at the deeper level what's really happening. You wax past that. And so God's heart and desire for us is maturity. And trials is one way that God accomplishes that. One way that God helps us progress. He loves us far too much to leave us where he saved us. And, and as he closes out this little section here, verse 16, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. What he's saying is, hey, you're, you're in the midst of a trial. Don't, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Uh, you're going to want to believe for a moment that God isn't good or he doesn't care, uh, that, that he's mean, that he's hateful, that, he's, uh, that God in the Old Testament, you're going to want to believe that which God in the Old Testament is the same God that's here today. You, you're going to want to believe that, and you're going to drift to that point. You're going to want to think that for a moment. But, but he says, don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. I've told you what he's doing. I've told you what's happening. I've told you that God cares. I've told you that, that he's with you. I've told you that all of these things. And, and for us, church, we've got the cross to look to. We've always got the cross to look to and be reminded of. Jesus does because he died and he's risen again. He took our sin and our shame on him. He goes on in verse 17, he says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And he reminds us that every good and perfect gift is from God. I mean, I mean, this just needs to be an anchor for the soul, for our desires, that God is good. We, we need to always be aware of how good God is as the band comes back up. We need to always think about that. We need to always concentrate on that and focus on that. And it's so, e it's so easy for us to overlook that. It's so, so easy for us to forget that, how good God is. If you just knew my situation. But you're here this morning. Or you're tuning in online this morning. And, and how did you get here this morning? You either drove or rode in a car. <laughs> Do you know that there's believers all over the world that will walk miles to get to church this morning? To gather with other believers? Yeah, but you don't know what car I drove in. They're walking with no car. Miles in the pouring rain or the freezing weather or the scorching sun. You drove around and you walked into a place that has cushiony seats. That's, that's the grace and mercy of God. And the AC that works and lights that are here and technology that happens. And by the way, you walked in with clothes on. You, you have clothes on your back, shoes on your feet. And I'd be willing to bet after this you're going to go do something that most people in this world would dream of by the lunch that you eat. And you're going to eat like a king today. I'm just doing McDonald's. McDonald's is eating like a king compared to people in third world countries. That's the grace and mercy and goodness of God. And He's placed us here in this day and this time for a specific purpose. And it's His mercy shining through 
all of that is good gifts from the Father of lights. All of that. And then look at how he ends this day of trial. Look at, look at what he says in verse 18. It says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What James does is he reminds them, hey, God chose you. And God picked you. That this was God's idea to rescue and redeem you and to make you a part of his family. So when all hell breaks loose and all difficulty happens and everything's coming at you and the house is on fire and the kids are acting like fools and your spouse is up, whatever, and your boss just doesn't get it, and your car won't start and your dog is doing whatever it's doing, what James says is be reminded of. God chose you. God saved you. God came after you. God wanted you. And even in the midst of this difficulty, even in the midst of this trial, he is doing something far greater than you'll ever know. And I still don't know what all he's going to accomplish in me from those last four years that I shared. And you know what? He may have to take me through two more. I don't know. I pray to God he don't. And I pray to God I'm not hard, so hard-headed that I don't hear and learn and understand what he's wanting to try to do in me. But what I do know is that he's loving enough to do that if need to be. And he's going to walk with me through it every step of the way. And he's going to do everything he can to get my attention and show me. Everything he can. So some of you right now are in that place where you just need to be reminded that and know that God is for you and that he cares. That he chose you, that he saved you, or maybe this morning he's choosing you and he wants to save you. And that he wants you to mature and grow. And I would just say with everything in you, press into that and be reminded of that truth. I mean, God's at work even in the midst of difficulties. I mean, these men or women are fleeing persecution for their life. I mean, I think that amplifies it a little bit more than, than what we go through day to day, does it not? I mean, put it on that level for a second. Insert yourself into that for a moment. Downplay whatever you're going through, whatever's happening, or whatever's struggling. I'm not downplaying that at all because it, it's real and it hurts and it's awful. But what we're reminded of here is that we've got a God who cares, a God who pursues, and a God who's going to accomplish a great, great work even in the midst of it. So whatever he stirred in your heart this morning, may you be obedient to his leading. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's put on you as a result of the proclamation of his word, his truth, but you'll be obedient. So if you want to come to the altar and pray, you come to the altar and pray. If you want to stand there and sing with everything in you as we're reminded of his goodness and faithfulness in these songs, you do that. If you want to come and take communion by yourself or take it back to your family, you do that. If you want to, uh, if you have a prayer request, want to come to the cross and just lay that request at the cross, you do that. If you want to just give in this moment, an offering, you do whatever God lays on your heart as an act of worship, you be obedient. Because he's going to meet you in the midst of that. Even if there's doubt, he's going to meet you in the midst of that obedience and that faith. And he's going to honor that and he's going to cling on to that and he's going to do a work in that. Father, help us this morning see your face. Help us this morning to be reminded of what we need to, need to know. God, thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness. I pray you continue to work and move. Pray.